Hey guys, before we start this episode, I wanted to talk to you about Type 1 Lifting. So Type 1 Lifting is a clothing line that proceeds of the shirts and tanks and everything else goes to the Children's Diabetes Foundation. So um, this all came about with me and seeing a five-year-old girl in the emergency department uh, that had a new onset of diabetes. So uh, just take a look at the website. It's www type1lifting.com so just check it out if you don't buy anything that's perfectly fine uh, I would just like for you just to take a look and just see what we have so like I said before www.type1lifting.com and guys I hope you enjoy the show Alright guys, welcome to another episode of the Type 1 Lifting Podcast. I have the owner and founder of Misfit Athletics, Sharpen the Axe, and Proper Fuel, Mr. Drew Crandall. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. So I just want, I have a listener question right off the bat. Um, I got it from uh, Dex Hopkins. He actually asked me, uh, who has the, imagine. yeah, so, so he said, who has the better longer hair, you or him? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say because of his level of vanity, he's probably better than me at it. I like the idea of it, but I'm just not the, like we were actually talking the other day and he was like, you got to keep it this time. And I was like, man, I'm just not the guy to like take care of my hair. Yep. And like my <laughs> wife tries to help me with it a little bit, but I would say Dex is better at the, uh, you know the you know keeping his look right department. Yeah, no, I I hear you. Yeah, he I I, I interviewed him on a podcast uh, a couple couple weeks ago, and so I, I told him that you were coming on. So he, that was the first question he asked me. He told me to tell you. So I got to check that out. He's always very entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it was a great conversation. We talked about kids and everything, so it was uh, it was interesting. But um, so how did how did Misfit Athletics come about? Um, so Misfit Athletics specifically. Uh, the, the gym itself, CrossFit MF, uh, started in my garage in 2010, like actually affiliated, having people drive up to my house, um, <laughs> being like, is this really where I'm supposed to be? And it was at the time very much driven by our interest in the sport of CrossFit, mm -hmm. um, which was good for the Misfit Athletic side and maybe not so great for the affiliate side. You know, definitely a lot of lessons over the years when it comes to that. But Misfit Athletics came from writing programming for a bunch of you know northeast regionals athletes and games athletes but it was in like google docs and you know sending it out to everybody and it got to the point where we were getting requests from so many people from so many different places that it was like how do we put this on a website mm -hmm. um so that's when ted you know sort of joined and helped us you know look a little bit cooler than we are and you know we got the <laughs> website going and um, had the idea for the what, what I call the variable training system where you've got your mandatory and then your non-mandatory because I always struggled with the idea of so many programs out there being like kind of a one-size-fits-all solution mm -hmm. for so many different athletes. So that was the beginning, um, and we were honestly, man, four or five years where all of the content was free. Um, the only time we ever made any money was off, you know, maybe a T-shirt sale, or doing our training camps and stuff. So it's only been in the last handful of years that we've gone to the, you know, sort of paid subscription model. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And so what was the programming? Because I've, I've been on Misfit for, 
I think maybe like three or four years, roughly around the time since mm-hmm. I moved out to Atlanta. So what, like, what was the programming like before when you were like training in your garage and everything? Uh, well, it, it evolved quite a bit with the sport. Um, the very first open workout was one of the most important things for me personally, as someone who was an athlete at the time that was getting more and more into coaching, mm-hmm. um, sort of because I had to <laughs> in a certain way, but, um, the old, uh, sectionals, which is what they were called way back, um, were always very high skill, heavy. It was more of like a dog and pony show, like some local competitions used to be, mm-hmm. which I used to love. I didn't have to be very fit. I just had to be able to do pistols and muscle ups and lift a decent amount of weight. Mm-hmm. So I trained with that in mind for so long. And then um, I don't know if you were in the community at the time, but the very first open workout was the double under power snatch workout that came back up in, I think, 2014. Um, no, I, I don't think I started that. I think it was like, uh, I, yeah, I, when I moved down here, it was like four or well, five years ago. So, yeah, I think I missed, I think it was the year after, the year before I, I signed up. So, on paper, as a lot of us know now, easier sometimes can be a lot harder. But mm-hmm. on paper, it looked very simple, but it was so outside of my scope when it came to, to working out. So, sets of 30 double unders, light power snatch back and forth. This is going to be easy, right? Well, the CrossFit Games website crashed and they couldn't take any of the score submissions. So there was a two week period that we could do the workout. Yeah. So my bedroom was within a few hundred feet of my gym. And I probably did that workout eight or nine times within that two week (laughs) period because I wasn't, I wasn't living up to what I thought I was going to be able to, you know, I was hoping it was going to be like DT or 30 muscle ups for time or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that really opened my eyes to a lot of this stuff now that I'm more interested in. So luckily that was the year before Misfit Athletics started in 2012, the website. Um, and we really started to get an idea of, you know, how you could help someone improve, how you could be tested and that there was a lot of nuance to that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, and I know, I know now your program has evolved like tenfold pretty much. Yeah. And so like you have like your bitch work, you have your skills, like you have extra stuff you need to work on. And so how do, how does a person like, let's just say like they work like an hour and a half or like even an hour, what would you tell them, you know, how to attack your programming every day? Yeah. Um, I am a massive, um, proponent for our hatchet program Mm -hmm. i think that a lot of athletes should be on our hatchet program and it doesn't always necessarily have to do with where you've been you know even where you're going it's it just has to do with the fact that to really improve that balance of getting after it and recovering is so important and the world right now is so stressful that if it's volume 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 and you're trying to match intensity and then you're not giving yourself an opportunity to recover that's a bit of a problem so Um, that's also another reason for the way, the reason why we program the way that we do with the mandatory and the non-mandatory. I would love to see an athlete come in and put everything they have into the mandatory and just realize they don't have anything else in the tank, um, rather than go through the motions once they've gotten through those pieces. So for most people, I would say, start with hatchet, um, and sort of work your way up. Like you also don't even need to necessarily because of how well they line up only do hatchet you could do hatchet and pull a piece from mft Mm -hmm. every once in a while to see sort of how that balances 
Um, but I think that that should be the a part of most competitive CrossFitters' journeys is having you know that smaller amount of volume to really focus on what you're doing and then add and iterate as you go. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So when I first started, I was like training downstairs in my basement in Georgia in the middle of summer with like no AC, nothing, like doing mm. doing the whole program, good stuff. And I was like literally like sweating so bad that like it would like disintegrate, like it would just evaporate immediately, like right after, right after I dropped on the floor. But I, I love the program. I've always been a big fan. And um, I know that you and Hunter and Sherb actually do the programming together. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. yes. So how do you guys like attack like each, you know, phase of the program yeah i bet you guys probably like yell at each other or like just want to like get at each other so like so so i am an extremely analytical person so i have a, a workflow set up and i have acronyms for every style of workout and movement counters and duration counters and all these different things and it allows for us to each time we're going in to sort of check off a box in the process to focus on that thing alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'll do is I'll go in and build the actual structure itself. Um, then I'll work on what's mandatory, what's non-mandatory. And when I say then, I, I do mean like completely separate sessions. Yeah. So I don't go in and write all this stuff at once. I'll do the strength work. I'll do the skill work all on its own. Um, so when it arrives to Hunter and Sherb, Sherb knows that he's got this category in this movement. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we use is, is what we would call a build bitch work piece, which is essentially you're taking the total volume and dividing it up into pieces and saying, I'm going to go faster than I would if I was doing it straight through just mm-hmm. sort of basic interval stuff, but it'll say like build row. And okay. he knows he can go in and really tap into his experience as a coach, his experience as an athlete and write that piece as opposed to having to deal with a ton of moving parts all at once. Hunter goes in, he sees long couplet, um, you know, muscle fatigue, and he goes in and he's like, okay, so Drew wants me to use rowing, double unders, and whatever. And he can sit there and be creative within that. And I found that that works really well for us. Um, but the, the part that you're referencing, which is really fun, is we have our programming meetings, and we talk about every single block of every single program and we have some really heated debates about <laughs> this and that and you can tell when someone has their own personal bias on a movement mm-hmm. um, and you have to confront that when you have it yourself you know that sort of thing so so those meetings are pretty fun <laughs> so how did you like get involved in like learning more about like you know programming training and all that stuff uh really long really sort of long story um I definitely, most of my, you know, personal identity growing up was within sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a really tough time in high school with getting stronger. And the programming that they had for us was atrocious. Like, I thought that you had to claw tooth and nail, you know, at a time in my life when PR should have been pretty easy, you know, when you're young and mm-hmm. you get all that energy to, you know, to add five pounds to my bench press or something. And... We, uh, we actually had a, um, the, there's the NFL combine where they do like the 225 bench for as many reps as you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, the high school to college one is only 165. Um, and I got one rep. Um, <laughs> that was my run, one rep max. And I kind of got made fun of for it a little bit. So I disappeared in the winter after football season into a gym and found a ton of resources online, found a ton of books and, 
was really able to make like massive change, not even really knowing what I was doing. I, I found linear progression that way. So it was three by 10 bench press add five pounds a week. And you know, it worked. Yeah. So it started all the way back then. Um, and then post sports life, it was just hard to figure out what my identity was. You know, I tried to be a boxer. I got really big into snowboarding and then CrossFit was probably the first thing that like really scratched that itch in the same way. And that's sort of, you know, having all the programming that I had done before for myself and CrossFit coming together, just, you know, my horizons were expanded in a massive way. Yeah. Very cool. So did you back in the day, like in high school, like, uh, read like men's health at all and get those programs from like those guys at oh, all. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My brother and I used to do like the Arnold program at the, at the, the local gym and it would take like, it took like three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually started into CrossFit, like doing the 300 workout from like the men's health guy. Cause I was like, right. I was yeah. like, yo, I want to be like those dudes. So might as well just do that and just see how fast I can get. Yeah. And, I remember that. Yeah. And then like, it's funny cause um, I, when I was in the air force, they had a ba- they had a CrossFit gym actually at the at the at the base, and so I was like I, I was like yeah I do the three hundred workout, and they're like no that's not CrossFit, and so they're like all right well let's just see what you could do because you obviously you're supposed to do an on ramp program, and I never did one, and so because right. they're, they're like I did box jumps, and they're like yeah you're good, so just we'll just train you throughout the whole time. So, <laughs> but it's like obviously back in the CrossFit space like like years ago everyone would go like full throttle all the time and just be absolutely wrecked. So when did you guys start getting involved with like the more like active recovery, you know, just kind of chill out for the day or, you know, that kind of options? Well, we sort of always had it in there, um, but people didn't do it. So, so one of the biggest things with us is that I've learned over the years is just writing something down and then being like, I'm the authority. So you need to listen and you need to go do that just it just doesn't work right Mm -hmm. yeah so there's there's convincing and campaigning for all of these things and we spent so much time trying to convince people to really like dig in and be intense in their workouts um that they and it was our fault but they sort of thought that that was the only thing that we were after when it came to certain things so we've definitely learned over the years that like we have our remote coaching relationships, which you can really kind of dictate what's going on. And you need to bring that same level of care to the masses when you're, you know, doing podcasts and articles and videos. And that way you can really start to say, Hey, it isn't just this thing or just that thing. It's, it's all of it all together. Yeah. Very cool. So where do you get your information for like training wise and, in a, you know, recovery stuff? Oh, everywhere. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just a, a massive nerd when it comes to this stuff. Um, it started off very personal, like searching for the trick, the mm-hmm. magic potion, whatever you want to call it. So it definitely started there. Um, I have always been, even in school, sort of, I, I struggle to focus in that regard, but then can kind of go off and teach myself. So I've always been the type of person who, you know, will buy a book and then find four other books I want to buy because of the one that I'm reading. Um, so I would say that for the most part, you know, reading books and reading, you know, blogs online and and stealing pieces from, you know, every single, you know, the endurance community, the weightlifting community, the powerlifting community. That was one of the cool things about early CrossFit is I think even though those communities didn't really like us very much, Mm -hmm. like 
we were all every, we were always like how do we learn from you how do we figure out what you guys are doing over here and make it fit for what we're doing so i've always been you know really trying to to figure out what they're doing over there to specialize mm-hmm. and bring back the pieces that i think fit within our community yeah i i remember back in the day you, you went to uh, mark bell's uh mark bell's gym and kind yes. of learned some powerlifting stuff and i thought that was like pretty cool you guys we're kind of like learning from him and like you and then it came learning from you guys. Yeah, that was that was really fun. And that was really eye opening in the way that they would prepare for a single lifting session and the way that they would treat a single rep, the amount of care that they would put into how they approach the bar and all of these different things they did and how they set up. And we were able to to think about it and, you know, from a new perspective, you know, you got 45 heavy deadlifts in a workout it's hard to have that mentality but if you practice that way maybe in a strength session you know you can get yourself to a point where it can become second nature within a metcon so i would say my biggest takeaway from there was just how much care they put into the details Mm -hmm. um which can be challenging in crossfit because there's you know infinite details yeah i agree so um You've you've had like a whole bunch of CrossFit athletes coming, like joining your joining Misfit Athletics. So, and like you still have them around too. So, how do you pick and choose like what athletes would be good for Misfit Athletics? Uh, it's a very kind of natural thing that happens. Um, it typically happens through this athlete is friends with that athlete. Um, it happened a lot pre-COVID at training camps. Mm-hmm. We get athletes that come to training camps. Um, and I think our, our, we don't really, we haven't in the past really recruited athletes at all, like sort of gone and said, Hey, you know, I want to be your coach. Um, so I think our main selling point is just the idea that we know what we're talking about, but we're also fairly accessible and approachable. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times those two things just don't go together. And I've never really understood that. Like if you're, if you have knowledge on a subject, um, you have to sort of maybe big league people in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So um, I think being able to prove to people that um, we're thoughtful, but also, you know, you have to know what you're talking about to, to make real change when it comes to, you know, a CrossFit Games athlete. So um, those things together, I think, have helped us a lot. You know, sort of that community side of it. You know, we like to have fun. We like to interact with people. But when it's time to get to work, um, we've, you know, we've got, a collective, you know, 40, 50 years of experience um, when it comes to everything from affiliate classes to coaching people at the games. Yeah, very cool. So do you have, uh, I know, you know, the whole new season coming about with the Open and stuff, like, do you have any thoughts of, like, what might be happening this year with, you know, like more sanctionals or, you know, the Open or what to expect? Oh, man, this is this topic has been so intense for us because we've actually written like full phases that we've had to throw away Mm -hmm. because they don't fit what we're trying to do they don't really fit the goal of our program when things change like this so i'm what i can say is i'm extremely excited about it i like the idea coming from a more traditional sports background of a season like a season that you can actually follow yeah and it's not like it was always so hard to explain to some random person you met while you were traveling what you did Mm -hmm. and what the crossfit games were so the idea that it is a little bit more, um, you know, it's got a nice flow to it is, is exciting. Um, this year, I think it's, it's still not going to be quite what they want it to be because if I had to guess, the semifinals probably actually won't be in person. Mm-hmm. 
um, which presents, you know, sort of its own challenges. But at the end of the day, I'm just I'm excited about the new management and I'm excited that it's like Castro sort of gets to do his thing and create, you know, turn the sport into what it probably should have already been. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So um, do you think the Open's going to be pushed back a little bit for COVID? Because I know in England they're shutting like everything down again. I don't think they're going to push it again because they did technically already push it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the February date first and then they said it didn't actually count as pushing it because they just chopped the first two weeks off. Um, I think it's doable even with everything going on right now to do three weeks as an affiliate owner, as an area where we're not necessarily shut down, but we have our, you know, taped off squares in the gym and everyone's got to have masks anytime they're in the building and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's doable to get through that portion. Okay. And do you think there's going to be more than three workouts in the three weeks that, that they allotted? Uh, I don't think there's going to be more than three workouts. I could see a lift being thrown in there. Um, just to make sure that they're, you know, maybe bringing in enough elements that can seed the right people to the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. But when you're taking 10% of such a large number already to get to the quarterfinals, I think they're safe with, with just three or, you know, your, you know, three and a half type workouts where they throw a lift in at some point. Yeah. Very cool. So when you, uh, when you were talking to your athletes about, you know, throughout the whole year, do you guys do like a kind of like week, a yearly goal, like in the beginning of the year saying, Hey, this is what we're expecting you to do. You know, we're expecting you to like, you know, get to this level or whatnot. Normally. Yes. Um, but this has been such an odd time and such an emotional roller coaster for our athletes. You know, when, when you're typing into a tab on a spreadsheet week 16 of games prep because of how much they've pushed it, you know, something is off something is wrong. So, so we were literally, you know, with, with our games athletes having random deload weeks where they would, you know, we would start to see those signals that it's time to, that it's time to do this. And then our athletes that didn't qualify or maybe didn't make it from stage one of the games to stage two of the games is riding this wave of like, I'm in it, I'm committed, I care, but what the hell am I preparing for? When is it? When is this going to happen? So, I mean, you're, you're looking at, the last time, honestly, the last time that this all felt normal was almost exactly a year ago when we were at Wadapalooza. Yeah. You know, things were really just sort of um, going the way that they had been going. And then for more reasons than just COVID have completely changed. So normally I would say yes, and we are starting to get back into that. Mm-hmm. Um, with the way the season's set up, goals are extremely important because you have to know when you're really trying to push it. Uh, high-level athletes basically you have to slot the open workout in as if it's just another workout because you know if you're worried about whether you're going to make it to semifinals you have to really try to peak into quarterfinals and that's during the opens so yeah that's a completely unique to anything that we've ever programmed for before yeah pretty cool so um you said Wadapalooza so is that one of your favorite places to go to yeah yeah we we sort of um you know we've traveled a lot um, since maybe 2013, 2014, and we've kind of noticed where our athletes would congregate. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was just seemed to be the event where the most misfits were. So it's great to go down there and have the sharpen the ax booth to have the misfit booth, to be able to, you know, connect with people. And then, you know, just from like a, you know, it feels like almost like a fatherly standpoint, being in the stands and seeing all those (laughs) t-shirts out on the floor and all that stuff is so cool. Yeah. Like, 
you know, you gotta, kind of got to pinch yourself sometimes when you're looking down and seeing that because, you know, it feels like we've been doing this forever sometimes, and then it feels like it just started sometimes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So uh, speaking about Sharpen the Axe, so how did how did that clothing line come about? Um, at, at first, it really just was um, – <laughs> the name Misfit came from the fact that we wanted T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else had T-shirts. We weren't an affiliate, so we were like – let's make our own t-shirts and they had the it said crossfit across the front but there was a space between cross and fit and it said miss so it said cross misfits nice Um, and and it was just like 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 go to a local printer and get some shirts made so that if we did interact with other crossfitters we could be like look you know we have this shirt so um when when misfit athletics started going people were like where's your merch we're like okay so we i mean the first misfit shirt was purple yeah and it just said misfit across the chest and the old and the old batman font um (laughs) so we kept selling out of you know we do we you know call like two pood and ask them to make us a short and we kept selling out of this stuff um and then the same year that i wrote an article i used to sort of write this like rallying cry at the beginning of the season um, and it was about the Abraham Lincoln quote, sharpen the axe. Mm-hmm. And around the same time, Merrill Shoes sent us a cease and desist for our logo, which was the, um, which was just the M yep. back then. Okay. The M with a little like tail on it. Um, so we had to figure out what to do. We, we, you know, talking to a bunch of lawyers and they were like, you can continue to make clothing that says misfit on it if you have a company that has a different name that will do that for you so we're like let's call it sharpen the axe um and then honestly it's just one of those things where um i'm the type of person that likes to have a bunch of different irons in the fire to Mm -hmm. you know sort of keep my interest going and ended up really getting into you know designing clothes and um sherb is what we call a, a clothing larry like loves the like the material and the like he's always like have you tried this short and he's always got the new shoes and mm-hmm. someone told me this running shoe is better than this running shoe so he's there like with the we should make this kind of jogger or whatever um and and honestly it's just grown from there to the point that sharpen the axe is basically the same size business-wise as misfit athletics wow it's um, very cool and it's been an insane learning experience for sure yeah um but uh, really cool to be able to do both things. Very cool. So what? Whatever. Well, I, so I obviously I told you earlier I have a clo- little clothing brand. That so what are the what have been like the mistakes or like the learning points that you've made throughout the whole time? Like not not every single one of them, but like at least a couple that were important yeah. to you. Um, I think the biggest thing that that people who design clothes have to be mindful of is you're not designing clothes for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a bit of an issue. So like if 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 you are a, you know, into minimalist clothing, you know, something that doesn't have very many logos on it, you need market share in athleisure, like a Lululemon or another company like that. Otherwise, what is the point of them buying your stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we've certainly tried that. And then we had a, uh, uh, one of the shirts that we had, had this warthog on the front of it with like arrows in its neck and the shirts yep. kill or be killed. On yeah. It. I remember that. So yeah. Remember that. Yep we thought that was the coolest shirt we'd ever made and it's like how many people want an animal with arrows in it and kill or be killed on it like so 
I, I think I think it's been really important to figure out how to listen to your customer base just by putting stuff out and being like, oh, they like that. And, you know, you, you restock that, but then you also base certain gear on that. Um, so, so I would say arguing internally over if this shirt is cool or that shirt is cool isn't quite as important as mm-hmm. listening to your customer base and seeing what they actually want because you know making a clothing line for yourself only just it, it doesn't work and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense yeah so did you guys do like in the in the beginning like quite like a kind of like a questionnaire on social media like hey what would you guys like or would you like this design or that design um not necessarily, but we had so many athletes already. Um, and you know, we are, we have a bit of a kind of a testing lab cause we have our two affiliates that mm-hmm. are local. Yeah. So we can get samples in and say, you know, here, try these out. Um, but the issue with that a lot of times is the gear would, we would already have, you know, a few hundred units of something and then you send it out and the athletes are like, Oh, this sucks. Jeez, <laughs> like, oh, thanks guys. Yeah. Um, and then you have to figure out, do they not like it? personally and then a bunch of other people do or you know is this like across the board that we need to try to improve this yeah very cool yeah i i love love the new purple rain shorts that you guys made and also the and also the joggers like i seriously if i had like seven pairs i would wear them like every single day like they're so comfortable there, there was a period of time where that's literally all I wore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, and then like the new navy ones came out, the, the new navy one joggers that came out, and I was like, oh, I gotta, get, I gotta get a pair. And like, now I'm a sock guy too. And when the the sock, um, you had a pair of socks that were all black, and it said misfit. They said miss and fit on the like the both the opposite uh, sock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like I, I, those are those are my jam. Like those are my all time favorite socks until like they started burning holes through them because I wore them so much. Yeah, we're trying to figure out how to redo those with the woven sock because yeah. the printed ones that they do like that, typically you do get that. Like you do like a rope climb and all of a sudden they're white and you're like, how did this black sock turn white? So um, yeah, those were, I, I still, I, I love seeing people tag us with those types of things because they're whatever, four or five years old. Yeah. You know? So you see that they're, you know, sort of still still in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are great. Yeah, very cool. Do you have anything coming out like in the the next line? Because uh, I know you're moving everything, and so uh, do you have like a n- any new like you know launch anytime soon or whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. So so we typically do a collection around the open. Mm-hmm. Um, so on February twenty fourth, I believe um, we're doing a, a, an open collection, Misfit Athletics, um, that we're calling the Make Your Mark Collection. And it's just sort of like a rallying cry around the idea that like so many athletes have been training for maybe 18 months without any sort of outlet other than, you know, an online throwdown or something to that effect. So we're trying to get people back into the mindset of you're doing this for a reason. Like the, the health and wellness side of it is fantastic, but, you know, I don't think that many people follow MFT and do the, all the optional pieces um, mm-hmm. for, health, for health and wellness specifically. So we're trying to get that rallying cry going again. Um, and that that doing that and having the collections built around those concepts are always really fun for us. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much like with – that's in line with like the um, oh, the podcast that you had, the Misfit Project that you had. was pretty much like talking yes. about like rest and like recovery and all that stuff. So are you guys – are you – are you trying to do more of that misfit project in your in your new po- in your other podcast misfit misfit athletics so 
<laughs> this is this has been kind of a funny thing for us. It sort of goes with the some people don't know the difference between Misfit and Sharpen the Axe. Yeah. Um, we had all these different podcast brands, and we sort of just made the decision to do the Misfit podcast. Mm-hmm. And if the topic was nutrition, it was nutrition. If the topic was you know fasted cardio, whatever it is, like like we wanted to. We didn't want to try and maybe pigeonhole the the who was going to listen to the episode based on that. Um, so we still, you know, I still have my list of topics, and they will go for you know to the unprepared style that we had there for a little while. Yep. Um, to the Misfit Project, but we're trying not to have so much brand confusion when it comes to the podcast. So now we just call it the Misfit Podcast, mm-hmm. um, and. One of the good things is people actually do listen all the way to the end where I tell them to DM me and we usually get some pretty good ideas. Yeah. Um, so if someone is like, hey, you guys used to do all this nutrition stuff on the Misfit Project, you know, or, you know, sleep or recovery, you know, all these different things. Can you guys go back to that? We typically know from listening to the community when they want to hear something a little bit closer to that. Very cool. And I and I, I remember in one of the podcasts, you uh, someone had a question about type 1 diabetes and you kind of talked about it for you know, energy wise. And you said like, you know, eat more fats than, than carbs and stuff like that. I believe that's what you said. So, um, and I really did appreciate you talking about diabetes and stuff. So do, do, speaking of diabetes, have you had any athletes other than like Brendan or anybody else that are type one diabetics and how do you kind of like help them out through their whole fitness journey? So if my memory serves me correct, we have had at least three people at training camps, um, that had the insulin pump yep, and it always coincided very well with, you know, I would do the type of lecture that went into, you know, the health and wellness topics and almost always was drawn to that person afterwards to have a conversation about, you know, how all this stuff goes together. And, and for me personally, a lot of the, the avenues that I've gone down a little bit more and maybe talk to my affiliate athletes about a lot more is, um, you know, on on the different sides of you know my my parents my, my mom and my dad's side of the family um cancer diabetes dementia um heart diseases all these different things and you know they they can be scary to think about mm-hmm. um when you when you see people go through that so for me it was always the type of thing where i wanted to know what i could do about it i wanted to know what i could tell my parents um just in terms of this stuff so i think um i was sort of I think I was sort of driven by that, um, and and luckily that I think brought a lot of a lot of people to our community that were looking for answers, both on that side and in the competitive side. Yeah, very cool, and I, and I really do appreciate you guys talking about diabetes. It's 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 it's, it's a scary and stressful you know disease because you're looking at numbers and thinking about numbers like twenty four seven, and then you're worried about you know, going into DKA or whatnot, like knock on wood, I haven't been in DKA, but still it's like, that stuff's like really, like you wake up in the morning, you're like, your blood sugar's at 300 and you realize like what the heck's going on or even training. There's been times I've tried to train and and my blood sugar's been like super low or super high. So I have to kind of skip, you know, training for that day, which is a bummer. So I try to like kind of cram everything else in to the other days that I'm training. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's important. I think it's so important for people like you and people like Brendan to come out and say, this doesn't have to mean what 
society puts on it in terms of stigma. Yeah. Like look at how we are trying, you know, to make these changes in our own life. And I mean, it's really all you have to do is, you know, go onto you guys' Instagram accounts. It's you guys are healthier than most of the people in the entire country. Yeah. So, so being able to, being able to set that example and let people know, like for me, I'm, I'm just standing there, you know, kind of talking about it. There really, really isn't a way for me to, um, unless you guys are people like you are around to point over there and say, Hey, like this isn't just from a book or from something that I read or something that I hope you're going to try. Like, yeah. There are examples out there of this. And I think, the CrossFit community in general has so many things that are like that. And it's almost like if as human beings, we move around and eat real food, um, we've got a pretty good chance at combating, you know, most of the stuff that can be thrown our way. Yeah. And I, and I love, like you said, like with CrossFit, like, you know, you have your adaptive athletes that are doing amazing things. And I know there was a guy, um, he's not like a CrossFit athlete, but he, he's been to the Arnold. He had cerebral palsy and he was deadlifting like 135 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I actually had a, cause I was a personal trainer for a while and I actually had a girl that had cerebral palsy and I showed her that video of her deadlifting, him deadlifting. And she was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so she was trying to like work her way up there, but we, I left by the time we actually were going to try it. But I mean, just, and even for me, just showing people out there, like, listen, even though I have this crap disease, I could, you could still do amazing things. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, I have, I'm kind of, I have a question mainly towards me. So I, I'm a taller individual. So I'm six, six. So how do, how do I get better on these? You're not only tall for a crossfitter you're tall in general That's yes one thing i always consider myself a small athlete and i'm not allowed to say that in the crossfit space <laughs> well how tall are you uh six feet okay all right so how, how do i get better at like to catch up with these other crossfit athletes that are like a little bit shorter um well i think the question might need to be narrowed down a little bit more just in terms of because there are you know, you, you have longer levers. Yep. There are a lot of movements that are going to be easier for you. You probably like the machines a lot more than certain athletes. So it's always going to be that give and take there. Um, but one of the things that I've found is if you don't put enough eggs into the other baskets to make sure that you're balancing out and you do actually have to, you know, maybe lose a few seconds off of, mm -hmm. you know, your, your split times on this machine or yeah. your one at maxes and stuff, but you have to be able to create that sort of balance mm -hmm. where you can still be better than all the other athletes at the things that, that you can excel at, but also, you know, maybe hold your own when it comes to, you know, I'm guessing gymnastics um, or, or even some of the barbell movements where cycle rate is so important. Yeah. I mean, my, I love doing thrusters for some reason. I don't know. It's like just, I guess I'm a sick individual or something, but Bless I mean, you. yeah, I, I could, I, I can hang, I can hang on for like a long period of time during thrusters. And it just, it, the only problem is it just takes like so much time going up and down the whole time. But I mean, the good thing is I can hold on compared to other people that are probably like halfway into it and they have to drop it. Yeah. I think again, that there's, there's always that trade off when it comes to that. Yeah. And the other thing that can be challenging is a lot of times that first that first you know barrier to entry when it comes to competing is online competition which a lot of times favors the smaller athlete mm -hmm. um you know someone like cody mooney comes to mind he always hated the open 
And then he would, the further he got into competition, you know, regionals, games, whatever, he did better and better because he was allowed to use his size and his athleticism a little bit more. So um, some of it is sort of creating enough of a hedge against those open style movements and getting yourself to a point where you can then, you know, really like show off the other things that you're good at because you're probably not going to be able to show off you're rowing quite as much in the open. I mean, Mm -hmm. they have had it in there, but it's never really been enough to, to move the needle in the way that, that someone like you probably would want it to. Um, so there's, there's something to really, you know, becoming intimate friends with burpees and handstand pushups and chest of our pull-ups so that you can get to a place where you get to show off your barbell skills and, you know, some of the more model structural stuff. Yeah. And that's what I've been kind of aiming towards with the extra, extra skill pieces that you guys have been programming. It's like always chest to bar or like any other gymnastic movement. Unfortunately, like I can't do, I can't do muscle ups because like the gym that I have, they don't have ring muscle ups or like, you know, even my basement too. So that's, another issue I need to, you know, worry about because I can't do a bar muscle up or I'll just like put my head through the, you know, living room floor. Yeah. You need a lot of space for a bar muscle. Yeah, (laughs) I do. So, um, speaking of Cody Mooney, he started with misfit for, you know, since the beginning pretty much. So, and you've seen him grow, like grown, like, you know, to like a CrossFit athlete now. So what have been, Mm. you know, what have been the couple like things that you've like were really excited for him about that you've seen him grown uh, as a person? Yeah. I mean, I was, I started coaching him when he was still in high school. Um, and it was one of those things that the, the first day that I coached him, he came up and had never done math with kilos. So we were able to get him a, a big snatch PR because he had no clue how much weight was in the bar. Um, and it's funny that you asked the question in that way because I've been able to watch him, you know, sort of grow from that point to where he is now. And he's not only like, like we don't necessarily work together in that regard anymore Mm -hmm. because he hasn't, you know, been competitive in a little while. Um, that's a a choice of his, by the way. Um, but he's, he's also one of my best friends. The kid's just incredible. And I tend to have, much better success in the coach athlete relationship. Um, trying to think of the right word with athletes that are maybe a little bit more thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that everyone is thoughtful in their own way, but maybe there's like a, an openness or a vulnerability um, where we can dig past like this isn't just about thrusters and pull-ups kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think him and I were able to make that connection fairly early Um we rarely talk about CrossFit outside of the gym. Um, and I find that learning more about an athlete and their psyche and their upbringing and what makes them tick is just as important, if not more important, once they get to a certain level than, you know, figuring out, you know, you're not using your hips and your chest to bar, that kind of thing. So um, when he qualified for the CrossFit Games individually for the first time, after not even qualifying for regionals the year before because he was in his head too much during the open mm-hmm. um like we just referenced that was that was a big that was a big moment for me you know professionally personally that kind of thing you know hearing you know crossfit mf being announced you know we, we've been coaching games athletes for years but that home gym thing hearing that announced at the games was was pretty incredible yeah i remember him during the snatch workout snatch event where he like I think he missed the first rep, then he hit the second one, and like he was it was like on to the next guy, and he was like still holding on to it, and then finally got yes. it up. I I thought that was super cool when that happened. He tore his labrum 
if, if you look at the snatch, he's completely lopsided. He tore his labrum um, before that. Oof. So he had ended up having uh, surgery right when the games ended. Um, so he did that whole he did the whole games there with a with a torn labrum. So that's where that came from. And and I remember because I was right there, like right in front of him facing him. And it was just like a, he was another person who a lot of his identity growing up was in sports. So he mm-hmm. he's, was one of the people that always understood like got 10 seconds the bar's right in front of you yeah let's go yeah very cool very cool do you have any other like good memories for other crossfit athletes that you've you've coached i feel like i'm gonna i feel like i would leave the wrong one out (laughs) there's there's there there really is a ton um some of the ones that maybe will will feel a little bit different um to, to give two different stories there was a year that the year that cody didn't qualify for regionals that made our gym qualify for regionals as a team sort of by accident Mm -hmm. because his scores slid down into the team and then shot us up the leaderboard. Yeah. And that was the first year that I ended up going. I was, I was away from home for a month going to each regional Mm -hmm. coaching at each one. And, um, people that listen to our podcast will laugh because I bring this up all the time, but it was the year that they did strict Nate at regionals Mm -hmm. with the strict muscle ups. Yeah. And if I had to watch another heat of that, I swear I was going to lose. Like <laughs> the most boring, ta- like just no good. Um, so so we get to the final week, which is the Northeast Regional. Yep. And I find out that the teams like have to be there at like 6 a.m. or something. And I was coming back from the West Coast. I was dead. I was just completely dead and thought that it was going to be hell for me to coach the affiliate team and then go coach the individuals afterwards yeah. and watching our gym's team out on the floor was one of the best moments that I ever had. Like we had, you know, maybe even hundreds of people from, you know, from Maine going down to Connecticut to watch it. And there was just something really special about that. Yeah. Um, and then the, the first year that I started working with China Cho when, when she, I made her tell me that she wanted to win regionals. She's, like the most humble person alive. And I think that it drives her in mm-hmm. a way. Um, but then when she goes to compete, she has to fight with that idea of whether she's good enough or not. Um, so we really got into that. We really got into the mentality behind that. And she said like, that's what I want. I want to win regionals, which is interesting because she'd already come in like seventh or eighth at the CrossFit games, but she had never, she had never won regionals. So I was like, well, we're going to peak for regionals then. We're going to do everything we can to get there, and we're going to you know, work on the things that, that you don't love to do. And um, she ended up winning regionals that year in Del Mar. Yep. Um, and, again, another athlete that you know was so much fun for me to coach because she was very thoughtful in and out of the sport. We were able to make the kind of connection where you know I could really help her move the needle in the gym and then be a – support system at yeah, events like that's one thing that that is very undervalued when it comes to coaching in person at events you see a lot of stress in the back you see a lot of coaches you know giving rah-rah speeches and doing these things and there's a lot of athletes out there that just need their like crew there with them mm-hmm. to support them so that they can just go out and execute yeah very cool do you th- so do you think having more coaches like you know you sherb and and hunter together like you know having someone get ready for a you know competition do you think ball three you guys put together is a good you know you know good thing to have for an athlete because you have like three different 
versions of you know coaches so you know maybe you can like you throw one thing out and the other one throws the other thing out yeah so we'll typically still have a single remote coach assigned to Mm -hmm. that person um but i i make sure that there's a way that i connect each athlete with each coach so like sometimes you'll see on instagram it'll say target scores underneath the workout we post yeah and it's got two names there Sherb's going to be the one to go, even if I'm coaching the athlete to go to them and say, Hey, you know, pick two of your favorites or sorry, there's only two left, which athletes hate because <laughs> there's you know not a wheelhouse worked out and it's going to be thrown up on Instagram. Um, which is always so funny to me because they're like the fittest people alive. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's just, I try to make sure that there's always a way for that because then when it comes to different questions, you know, a lot of people, you know, reach out to Sherb about, mm-hmm. you know, what am I, what pace am I trying to hold on this machine, that sort of thing. Um, so I like the idea of even if they have their designated coach, that they feel like there is a wider net, a bigger support system. Um, I should definitely, you know, mention Jen when it comes to this because a lot of a lot of the athletes use Jen as like the, you know, sort of the misfit mom mm-hmm. type of situation. Yep, and. Um, you know, we joke that if, if there's something going on, that's not CrossFit related, you might want to ask her uh, for the answer when it comes to that. So, um, I really like there being more than just one person there, um, for, for athletes to go to. Very cool. That's awesome. So, uh, we're getting close to the end. So, um, do you guys, do you, do you yourself, like, do you have any goals that you want to hit? for like, you know, your athletes and your business and maybe sharpen the ax for this year? Um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of them are number based, um, just because we've hit, you know, within the last maybe two years hit the point where, um, we aren't necessarily building businesses Mm -hmm. as opposed to scaling them, um, which has been a massive challenge all in itself. So, um, we are very goal oriented. We, we, we focus on, on, you know, hitting certain numbers when it comes to sales and it's not necessarily as much of a a financial thing as it is just the idea of the scoreboard and the idea of, um, you know, if, if we're getting more subscriptions on the website and we're seeing more athletes at semifinals, then we're moving the needle in the, in the direction that we're trying to, um, when it, when it comes to sharpen the ax, it's really just, again, about not overthinking things when it comes to there's three or four people in this room and they think this or that about a design mm-hmm. or I wouldn't wear shorts like that, like that kind of thing. What does our community want? Like, like we have a very loyal customer base. Um, so what do they want us to make? It's like really important. And obviously you don't, as a consumer, always know what you want. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, once you release something that you work really hard on, you still have to look at it just as, you know, did we sell six or 60? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, try to kind of iterate from that place. Very cool. And I know you guys are moving to another facility for the, uh, the Portland gym. Is that right? So <laughs> running Sharpen the Axe and Misfit, and the podcast and stuff inside of a building with loud music and slamming barbells yeah. isn't the easiest thing in the world. Yep. And then our coaching staff wondering whether they're allowed to walk through the door or not, if we're recording, if we're having a meeting, like neither of those things are ideal. Mm-hmm. So we got really lucky just literally like the place where our athletes run to touch a wall for their 100 meter turnaround. 
um, that's the new that's the new space. So it's going to be offices, uh, new podcast studio. We're going to start doing some more like video content for YouTube over there, and then sharpen the axe um, and proper shipping and receiving will be over there. Um, so just uh, uh, you know, sort of back to that idea of learning how to scale the business and and set ourselves up to succeed as opposed to being stuffed in a small area. Yeah, very cool. I I, I forgot to mention, but I, you said proper fuel. So how did how did that come about? Um, I, I've learned over the last five or six years that I, even if I have a good idea, I might not have time to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and what happens if it pulls me away from, from coaching or sharpen the ax, whatever it is. So I've wanted to do supplements for a long time. Um, and it's, it's not the easiest industry to break into. No. There's obviously a ton of different things. And then I wanted to design supplements for myself. Um, so we get back to that, you know, <laughs> sort of sharp in the axe thing. I was always, I always got made fun of when we traveled because I would there'd just be like the TV at the hotel and to the right, like 16 pill bottles, like all this different stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I just never understood why people didn't have nutrition solutions that were all in the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I had the formula for proper recovery for a long time, just based on, you know, reading a ton of books and, and looking at peer reviewed research. And then two members at our gym um, own a capital management firm and they looked into uh, purchasing a supplement company and it didn't really work out. And they came to us and they were like, would you ever want to do this? And I was like, Oh my God, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, I already know what the product is. I have ideas for names and, you know, marketing and all that. So um, they are like, like the highest, like super high level, like, like business minds. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been really cool to, to run a business with them and see how they do things, use the same sort of principles for sharpen the ax and misfit athletics and our affiliates. Um, so they came to us and, and asked us if we wanted to do it. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, a partnership type thing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just another thing that's been really fun. Um, and having enough people on the team allows me to sort of balance it with everything else that we're doing. Yeah, very cool. Uh, do you have any any other things that you're going to launch with for Proper Fuel at all, like a pre-workout or anything like that? Yeah, so we are looking into essentially um, what I would consider the the scientifically backed version of things like pre-workout, electrolytes, you know, greens, just sort of the, mm -hmm. um, the, the same things there. But we didn't want – we wanted to – to, to nail the first product in terms of, you know, just in terms of flavor yep. and like get, you know, really get enough feedback from people. Hey, this does work. You know, the like the digestive enzymes actually do make it easier for me to take away. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, those things are definitely on the horizon, but we're trying not to, you know, put the cart before the horse. Yeah. It's like a slow burner pretty much. Just get the first product out, you know, make it amazing. And then kind of like, sprinkle a little like one little product coming out next week or whatever like that and just keep on going that way absolutely and you know a lot of those lessons again from sharpen the axe of you know you release 19 things at once yep you know thinking that you know volume is where you need to go and that might not, not necessarily be the case so yeah completely great so um one other question is do you have like a favorite book you like to read or like give someone as a gift oh goodness um there's a lot of them trying to think uh i usually have to ask someone what genre they're looking for okay um because i'm typically reading like 
four or five books at once. Yeah. And I have different times of day that I will read a different type of book. Um, so I like currently I'm reading high output management, which is about like, like, uh, running a factory essentially, but okay. I'm also reading the fifth book in the Dune series. Okay. Um, so, so there's, there's sort of that stuff going on. Um, let me think what would be, what would be a book that I would, um, I think probably my, the book that I've gifted the most is man's search for meaning okay. um, by Victor Frankl. Um, it sort of starts out with, with him, um, in the concentration camps and talking about, you know, what, uh, human beings are capable of when they're put into certain situations, mm-hmm. um, and him developing a certain type of psychotherapy based on, um, what he went through in the concentration camps. Um, and really the, the overarching theme of when something happens to you, you don't have to react that second. Mm-hmm. There, there could be, there could be a space yep. between something happening to you and how you choose to respond to it. And like, it's, it feels almost stupid now, but the light bulb that went off in my head, that was like, basically you are responsible for the way that you act and the way that you react to things was one of the most profound things that I've ever read personally. So that's definitely one where, um, if people are really stressed out or really think that, you know, with what's going on in the world right now, I think it'd probably be a good time for a lot of people to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just sort of realize that you get to re-realize over and over that you are the master of your own destiny and you don't necessarily have to feel like things are happening to you all the time. Yeah. Very cool. I'm act- I'm definitely going to read that book I mean, whenever I have time instead of like, you know, watching my two kids. So I'll see what happens. Uh, you know, mine are five or two, so it's a little hard to read a book at night. So, I get that. I yeah. get that. <laughs> so um, where where can people reach out to you if they have, like, any questions with Misfit Athletic, you know, Sharpen the Axe or Proper Fuel? Um, so probably the, the absolute easiest way to contact me is coach at misfitathletics.com. That's my email address. Um, I'm getting better at responding to DMs, but we have so many freaking accounts. Yeah. And I'm on all of them that I'm going through. Um, I do respond to all of them, but sometimes – they can get buried in the, mm-hmm. the you know, the spam. Um, so if, if, if someone ever reaches out to me at Misfit Coach on, on Instagram and I don't respond, just reach out again and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to it for sure. Yeah, I can't, I, do. I can't imagine the amount of stuff you get on your DMs on all those accounts. I, I honestly have a lot of fun. I, I've, I've had more time during the, the pandemic yeah. and I have a lot of fun with interacting with people. A lot of, most of them don't think I'm going to respond. Um, <laughs> I think it's, is sort of part of the fun. Yeah. Um, but I just, I really like talking shop. I really like talking about books and CrossFit and you know, whatever it is. And a lot of times it's like, I put something in my story and the conversation gets started because they like the same band that I do or they mm-hmm. read the book or whatever, that kind of thing. But I really do genuinely enjoy interacting with everybody that you know supports what we do so yeah very cool well thank you very much for doing this with me i i i'm i was super excited when you when you messaged me back saying like yeah i'll, I'll definitely do one do it a podcast so i i thank you very much for doing this yeah man thanks for having me this is this is one of those things where if, if i get an opportunity to again communicate with someone that's you know part of our community you've been tagging misfit and sharpen the axe for a while so to be able to actually spend some time with you is really cool appreciate awesome. it awesome thank you very much absolutely